You know, do you believe there's life after death? The boss asked one of his employees. The clerk answered, I surely do. The boss said, I'm glad you do because when you took off yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she came here to see you. See what I'm talking about, human nature? <laughs> so we have to be careful. Now I know all of you, I'm not saying all of you, but probably a lot of you saw Easter bunnies, Easter dresses, people going to church that probably hadn't gone in a long time. They say there used to be two kinds of people that go to church, one on Christmas and one on Easter. They'd always show up for those two and make the preacher so mad. He'd preach right to those uh, people who did that. But, but can you imagine millions and millions of people worshiping on the wrong day, taking up, going up to the mountain to watch the sun come up? Now, when you keep these days, you don't even think about anything like that. You don't think about rabbits laying eggs at all. You understand rabbits don't lay eggs, but you understand the symbols. Why they chose a rabbit and why they chose an egg. And yet people still teach their children lies. A lie. And they grew up believing it's a lie. So they teach their children it's a lie. And they teach their children it's a lie. So we've all been taught that. Well, except those of you who were born into the church. So I'd like to meet you if you've been born into the church because you'd be the only one besides Christ. See, we have that, use that habit. Well, I was born in the church. And I've attended. Actually, we're going to be born again at the resurrection. But we use that expression. I was born in the church, which we all understand that. But this sunrise service, when people making this trip, just to see the sun come up. You know the first sunrise service is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 8, if you want to look at it. Ezekiel chapter 8. <clears throat> in verse 15, Then he, Christ, or Yahweh, said to him, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you'll see greater abominations than these which is an abomination, God says. Abomination in his eyes. So he brought me into the inner chamber of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. Now what were they doing? Well, they were watching the sun come up because the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, the world goes around and around as we were taught. So he says, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And God said, that is an abomination. Now, all churches claim to be under the blood of Christ. All had different ideas about sin. No matter where you go, I've seen Pentecostal people say, well, you will not get the Holy Ghost if you smoke. Then I went to another Pentecostal church. They said, well, you smoke. They smoke, and they still speak in tongues. So you wonder which one is right. Does it matter? 
Some says you can't smoke, speak in tongues. Some says you can't smoke, speak in tongues. They're all confused. You know why? There are no truth in them. They're a bunch of liars. And I hate to put it that way, but that's what the Bible says. Because there is no truth there. And we need to understand that. People are deceived by their God, who is a deceiver and a liar, Jesus said. And there is no truth in him. No truth at all in Satan at all. Because that's what Jesus said. So here we are. How do we are to worship God then? Our own dictates are... Do we decide how we worship God? Do we decide if we should come to church or not? Should we decide if we say second tithe? Should we decide? Or does God tell us what to do? It's not the church tells you what to do. It's what God says. And that's why you have your Bibles open. So you can read it. And see that the minister is not making it up. Now if you don't open your Bible... You know if we're telling the truth or not. Open the Bible, as Mr. Armstrong said. Blow the dust off. Don't assume that you know. Read it along with what's being said, and the minister will make sense of it. He'll read that scripture and make sense of it. If he is a God-called preacher, because he can't do it himself, and that's what we need to think about. As we heard in the sermon, Ed, about the leavening, let's turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and what Paul was dealing with. Now, we all love Paul, don't we? Do you know there are people who didn't like Paul? You know there are people in Corinth didn't like Paul? You know they wanted to see him stoned? But we love Paul. We read about Paul. But what if Paul had caused your wife to be put in jail or your friend to be killed? Then he comes out saying, I'm a God-called preacher. I bet you wouldn't follow him. Well, who made you an apostle? You murderer. So we have our ideas, concepts, what preachers should be like. I've learned that in the Protestant churches. They have a concept what their concept what their preacher should be like. Some like these sweet ones. They like to help them around, you know. Some like, well, you don't find any more mean ones that make you scare you out of hell. <laughs> Where you didn't want to go to hell. And so we have our own concept sometimes of what church should be. Because all we know is what we see on Billy Graham, on television. Mama used to go. Mama insisted me to go to church. We get in the habit of going to church, but we don't know why we're going. We just go. And we're afraid not to go. We're afraid of the tribulation if we don't go. Just like I was afraid I was going to hell if I didn't go. I didn't want to go to heaven. And I sure didn't want to go to hell and burn forever. But I didn't know why I was going. I think you understand if you can just open your hearts and minds 
to understand these facts. It will help you to see. We don't know. We have to live it to know it. We have to practice it. We have to practice righteousness to be right. Practice what is right. Eliminate the wrong as we are, as we are taught. So in Second Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 11, He was saying, verse 3, but I fear, now he's speaking to the church at Corinth, but I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It is simple if you have God's spirit. It's not complicated. God's way is simple to a sound-minded person. It makes sense. See? The simplicity that is in Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity, you see, of, of that is in Christ. Or the purity in Christ. For he who comes preaches another Jesus. There is another Jesus. Now which Jesus do we serve? There are two Jesuses. There are two Gospels. There are two spirits. Which one do we have? We have to ask ourselves the question. Because Paul plainly shows there are two Jesuses. And I think we understand that. Their Jesus was, it's called the Good Friday. We're supposed to be beaten so badly. That's good, you see. They carried the very death weapon that killed Christ, which is the cross. They put him on the cross. But the spear went in his body. And they worshiped that as a reminder, something physical, as a reminder that their Savior on Good Friday, resurrected on Sunday morning, we've got to go to the mountain to see him. Does that make sense to you? That that worships God, that worships Christ. So if he comes preaching another Jesus, and you see that all over the internet, another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you have received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You've got to understand, brethren, the true gospel saves you. The gospel that Christ brought commissioned the church to preach. Now, we think the message died when Mr. Armstrong died. Did he die? Did it stop with Paul? Or did Paul teach Mr. Armstrong? Did it stop with Mr. Armstrong? Well, it's just silly to believe it did. We couldn't even grow in grace and in knowledge. That command says grow in the knowledge of God. Grow in it. The more we grow, the more we see how much we need Him. That we need Him. But if you believe it's over, it died when Mr. Armstrong died. 
We're all helpless. But our Savior lives. And He lives in us. And I don't care what anybody says. If you think you're not being fed in this church, open your mouth and swallow the food. And you'll be surprised what you hear. I've heard people say, we're not being fed here. Me, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, what do you think we do? Tell fairy tales, love songs, love stories. People say, well, Mr. Meredith, you know, he's preaching all the time about this and that. Well, why not? If he's been inspired, I learned from him. So I mentioned about the two trees. People got tired of that. The evangelists around Mr. Armstrong got tired of his preaching. So he got tired of it. That's what happens. When we begin to size up, well, he's not doing what I want him to do. Why should I back up? Why he's not doing what I want him to do? He's not saying what I want him to say. He better say what I want him to say. If not, I'm leaving. Leaving where? Going where? That's amazing when we first come into the church. You prove all of these things. You're tickled to death to come. You're just full of life. Then all of a sudden you get bored. I'm tired of hearing about the Sabbath. Well, brethren, you're going to hear about that for the next thousand years. You're going to hear about the holy days for the next thousand years. And another hundred after that. So if you're tired now, what are you going to do then? That thousand years. Well, Christ, I'm sick of that. What are we going to be preaching in tomorrow's world. What will be the message? Satan is bound. What is going to be the message? That we will be preaching. Well I didn't hear Mr. Armstrong say it. And I'm not going to believe it. Now don't get me wrong. Mr. Armstrong taught every one of us well. But some people worship him. They hold him. We should hold him high esteem but he was a man that God used Mr. Meredith is a man that God uses whether we like it or not he uses him now this church if you can't see it in the last few years how much it has grown now I was a pastor of the Charlotte Global Church And we had about 20 people, 25 people at that time. And now the Charlotte Living Church of God, we at least have at 270 people. And we keep baptizing people. Just keep baptizing. If we were a dead church, why can't people see the growth? Why can't they see these little kids? How disciplined they are. Why can't they see the choir? How it's improved. Why can't they see the special music? How it's improved. Is that God behind it? 
We need to look at the body of Christ and see is Christ in us and with us and get with it. Get with the program. Most people get offended because they, they want to serve, but they're too proud to ask. They want to do certain things, but they're too proud to ask. So they won't do it, and they get mad because nobody begs them to serve. Well, I don't think Christ begged me to get up here this afternoon and preach. So I don't believe he's begging you to stay awake. <laughs> but I think you understand what I'm talking about. The more you give of yourself, the happier you are. You've got to give yourself, not to a little group that agrees with you, but to everybody in the church. And we can shake hands or hug and kiss or whatever you do to at least 250 people on the Sabbath. Now, we don't see that. But think about how Global started out. 19 people. And look how much we've grown. Now, we've lost a few people. And we will lose more because they don't get the picture. We don't fit their mold. We don't fit that image. And that's why it's so dangerous. You know, a certain image. that we've got to fit that image. Or I don't like if you don't fit my image. So Paul here is warning the church at Corinth. Be careful about receiving another spirit. An angry spirit. A pouty spirit. There's all kinds of spirit. A lying spirit. A sexual spirit. Be careful that you don't receive that or I don't receive that. But receive the Spirit of God, which produces, as we heard last Sabbath, Dr. Winnell, those fruits of God's Spirit. You have two trees, one produces death, one produces life. Which one are, are we eating on? Death or life? That's the choice. That's the choice God has put for all, all of us. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death, or the tree of life. So we have that choice to make. You can't make it for somebody. I can't make it for my wife. She cannot make it for me. It's an individual choice that God has given to each one. And we have to live with the choice that we make. So let's turn to James chapter 4. <clears throat> James 4. <clears throat> Verse 8 of James 4. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. See, you double-minded. A double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. So here we are told then by James, the apostle, Jesus' brother, what to do. Now, Dr. Meredith didn't write this. Mr. Ames didn't put this in the Bible. James, that we love, tells us what to do. 
that you cleanse your heart, purify your souls. Don't be double-minded. Don't be like Judas. He lived a double life. Judas did. Oh, he had the power to heal the sick. He had the power to cast out demons, but he lived a double life. And he caught up with him. What did he do? He sold out the Savior. By that double life, he lived. So we can only live one life, and our minds must be solid, sound minds, where we purify the double way, or the double standard. We have for one, but not for self. Some groups have a double standard, one for that group, one for another group. So that's why we have to be careful. So all the churches claim to be under the blood of Christ. All churches do. Claim to be Christ as their Savior. However, they deny the biblical definition of sin. They will not accept sin as the transgression of the law. They will accept nine of those, but not the fourth one. Nine of them. And the fourth one has been done away with. The fourth one is Jewish. Now, they sold on me on that before I came into the truth. But also, the Bible says, He that saith, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. There's no truth in that individual. If he's not keeping God's commandments, why? Because God's commandments is truth. It's, you know, truth there for us. <clears throat> because the world is founded, brethren, on a lie. Adam and Eve believed a lie. God's church is founded on truth. Christ is the foundation of the truth. Satan is the foundation of lies. Now, you might say people are sincere, a person could be, Hitler was sincere when he wanted to kill all the Jews. He was sincere. If you want to say that, well, we say, how could he do that? Well, he hated Jews. He hated the Sabbath. He hated everything about the Jews. And so when Satan is turned loose on God's church, he hates Christians. He hates the truth. And those who stand in the truth, because he's not of the truth. God is the God of truth. So we can't get sucked into this where Satan is the founder of this world. It's man-made, but Satan inspired. And that's why it's so confusing. That's why it's so divided. It's hard to find any two people agree. I bet it's hard for you to agree with your wife and or to agree with you all the time. Or your children to agree with you. There's always contention. Always something. And we can excuse it. Well, I don't feel well. If I'd have felt good, I wouldn't have said that to you. But I feel bad, so I have a right. I got a headache, so that's why I threw this chair at you. <laughs> See, we use, we use those things as excuses to establish why I did what I did instead of realizing that uh, maybe that's the way I am, as I mentioned this morning. So some believe that drinking, I was brought up 
drinking and dancing were sin. But I did it anyway. <laughs> so when I came into the church, I thought I had to give it up, and I found out you could drink, and man, was I happy. <laughs> I found out you could dance. I said, well, great. Isn't that something? You can drink and dance and not feel guilty? And I thought, what all I could do in the church? But in the other churches, I couldn't do anything. They made you feel miserable if you did something. Aren't you glad you drink glass wine without feeling guilty like you're going to hell if you do? Well, that's what some preachers preach. Now, God tells us what to stay away from, what will destroy us, what to eat, how to dress, what is good for us. You can't put anything unclean in a clean body. If your body's been purged, cleansed, you go out and try to eat some pork to see if it doesn't make you sick. You can't put something unclean in something that's clean. So the people, when they found out worldwide, you go out and eat some pork, what did they do? I thought, well, man, even if I could eat, I couldn't eat it. It makes me sick. We are a holy people. We have to put the clean meat clean stuff in our bodies in the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not how many pieces of pie I can eat. See? It's not how many glasses of tea that I can drink. I don't know how much I can drink. I haven't tried. My mother used to drink a gallon of it. She loved tea. Not at one time, but that's all day in, in those situations. But See, the world is not ready to come out of a lie. They're not ready for that. They can't get rid of that lie. What will people say if I start living the truth? I'll feel better if I live a lie. Well, let me let, let you on a secret. They don't like you anyway. <laughs> you may think they do. All you have to do is just tell them I'm not coming back to their church and see. I guarantee you, when I left the, the Baptist church, I got up on a Wednesday night and told them I was leaving. They begged and cried and pleaded with me, oh, please don't go, holding on to me until I got in the car. Then they started throwing rocks <laughs> in one way. So that, you see, that's just the way it works, brethren. Did they love Christ? Are you different from Christ? Did Christ sin to get them to love him? Did he lie to get them to love him? Or did he rebuke them? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Do you think people love you better because you sin? Now, I'd rather people respect me as to love me. When they love you, say, he's a good old liar. I love him. Boy, I just love him. He's a good liar. You know, he's a, he's a good sinner. I love him. But respect is when they listen. They respect because they respect you. They respect you because you, they know you will tell them the truth, the best of your knowledge. That you don't mind doing that. So the days that we just observed are days of truth. Where we live the truth, we tell the truth, we sing the truth, we enjoy the truth, we rejoice in the truth. And all of those good things that... God says. So God is it's not left it up to the church to define sin. 
So it takes a, a minister to help you to understand sin. And God has to give him the understanding to help you to understand. See? And the more experience that minister has, the more he can help you in your problems. Because you grow. You grow in that knowledge. And I think all of us wants to get rid of problems. I don't know if anybody wants to carry around a problem. We have to find a solution. And we have to work on the problem as God. So he hasn't left it up to me to know how to keep the holy days. He tells me what to do. So I go to the feast and, all right, we've got a softball game this afternoon. So what do we do? We go play. Why? Because that's what the church says. Oh, we've got a practice coming up Sunday in softball. Well, why don't we go? We go. You volunteer to go, and you find out it's fun. Things are organized in a way that makes it fun for everybody. The church is organ, organized, see, to help people get the best, get their talents working in those areas. And we want to help everybody. Now, I was a softball pitcher when I was 20 years ago, I guess. And I could fast pitch. I've struck out as high as 20 men in one game where they had 21 batters. It's not that I couldn't pitch. I could pitch. I had the ability, but I had to practice. And pra I started practicing, and my mother had an old garage. I'd, I'd throw it against the garage. I just tore up that garage door. But I was shown how to hold the ball. See, there's somebody knew how to throw a drop or a rise ball or a curve. I had to be shown that. That you come around, you twist that wrist for a rise ball, and you come over for a drop or you come that way. But I had to be shown that. Then I had to practice, practice, practice until I became one of the best ones in Alabama. One of the ones. Had several, but one of the ones. Now, my name was published in most of the newspapers. And my, I still got the clippings. I had to bring it out and show some people. <laughs> but uh, in sports and high school, I made all state, broke two state scoring records. And I missed most valuable player because we didn't win the championship. We lost that game. But I was, had passion. See, passion to win. Passion is what we need. The church of God needs passion. We're winners, not losers. Passion, you see. It takes practice and practice until you become the best. And not just lie back. I've heard it all before. You'll never make the team. And one thing I learned in sports, you don't put lazy people out there in the field. You put people out there running the walls, <laughs> their bodies or whatever, see, that inspire you. So it's just this organization. It's like uh, Dr. Jamano who gave that opening prayer. He wants the best for a living university. He knows he doesn't have it. 
And as long as he lives, he probably knows he'll never achieve it. But he's going to strive to make the best. Not give up. He'll take students, maybe not. They could be more qualified. And they get the best out of them. There's a purpose for their lives. And as you get older, you begin to see that. You appreciate somebody who was really helping you to achieve what you want to achieve. To achieve in life. So, you see, brethren, God tells us what our attitude should be toward this feast. You remember what it is? It's been going over several times. Your attitude toward this feast. How to keep this feast. Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 8. Now, did Paul... Did God inspire Paul to write this, or did Paul just make it up? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new leaven, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sanctified, or sacrificed for us, Therefore, let us keep the feast. How? Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, or hate, or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, those two things. A person can be sincere and not have the truth. Or the person can have the truth and not be sincere. They go hand in hand. Sincerity and the truth. So this word sincerity is from a Latin word, sincerus, S-I-N-C-E-R-U-S, means honesty of mind, where we're honest with God, we have a purpose with God, we're sincere with God, we're not duplicity, we're not uh, double-minded, where we have passion for God, where that sincerity is there, it takes both. Now, people may have walked up to the mountain. They might have been sincere, but they didn't have the truth. You have to have both. When you approach the feast, it's sincerity and truth. So you have to be sincere in what you're doing. You have to be a winner. That I'm getting the leavening out of my life. It's not going to hold me back anymore. I want God to use us. And we have to push forward. It's not easy. But if you are sincere, then God can use that in the truth. So we must be sincere with God, being honest with God. And He sees our hearts, brethren. He knows what's in my heart. He knows if I'm up here telling the truth or up here lying. He knows that. But it's in sincerity... And truth. Truth gets the leavening of sin out. It frees us because we're sincere with God. We want to be like God. We want to be His Son. We love our Father. We love His church. His church, the Father's church. And we serve the brothers and sisters of Christ. We have to be sincere and truthful to God. Or we won't be in God's kingdom. It's just that simple. That we're choosing another way. 
than what God said. Find an alternative to that. Of course, that's the individual's choice. Now, John chapter 4. And what Jesus told the woman at the well. Verse 23 of John 4. But the hour is coming... And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's the only way you can worship God. Not physical things, but in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Isn't that amazing how God is seeking us out? Tells us what He requires. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So He tells us what to do. Spirit. The attitude. The whole being. Is truthful. There's no hidden sin. There's no hypocrisy. There's no double standard. We don't come to services and act one way go home and act another way or come here and act like we don't want to be here. It's sincerity and truth for our own good. That's what he tells us to do. And we must be sincere in that. Now if we go to Joshua 24 <clears throat> and we know Joshua led the most righteous nation probably ever existed for the 6,000 years when he was taking the children of Israel to the promised land. As long as Joshua was alive, they were righteous. But when he died, then they forgot about what he had taught. They forgot all about it. And you read the book of Judges, one of the most bloody books in the Bible. Why? Because they didn't have a leader. There was no king. There was no one to give them direction. They were confused. And what did God do? He sent them off, penalized them. Let somebody take them captivity for 20 or 40 years to learn a lesson. Then they'd beg God. God would release them and bring them back and they'd forget about God again. Are they any different from us? Would you have been different back then than you are today? It's easy to forget God. It's easy to make decisions without God. It's not hard. It's easy to tell a lie. It's hard to tell the truth. It is easy, you see. But it doesn't make any sense to commit adultery. Does it make any sense to steal? Does it make any sense to lie? Does it make any sense to break the Sabbath? Does that make sense to anybody? It's difficult to tell the truth. Lying is easy. So, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Eternal, serve Him in, a sincer in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Eternal. And if it seems evil to you, serve the Eternal. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve with the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, 
in whose land you will dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In sincerity and truth. And God told Joshua he would never leave him or forsake him, just like he tells us. Do we believe that? That God will leave us or forsake us? If one of our leaders dies, then God forsakes us. Do we really believe that? I don't think we do. Christ is not dead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the eternal. Now, is that a positive, sincere attitude that he was telling the children of Israel? They could say, well, you hypocrite, you, Joshua. Well, I remember 50 years ago, what the, I remember all this about you. No, they knew it was sincere. They knew he obeyed Moses. He knew that he had a big responsibility to lead the children of Israel across the, uh, that uh, Jordan River into the Promised Land. Had to organize them to get them there. Had to have them circumcised before they could take the Passover. Had to organize the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. So we march around, he said... Jericho on the first day of Unleavened one time. And we'll march around the second day one time. We march around the third day one time. Now the people say, that's crazy. Why do we have to do that? Moses wouldn't have us to do that. And I'm not going to do it because Moses wouldn't have. Then the fourth time, then the fifth time, and the sixth time. Then on the seventh day, seven times, and this is what you do. You keep your, when I tell you to shout, you shout. The more you follow instructions, the more faith you have in the one who's instructing. But if you think you can do it better, then you know what will happen? Chaos and confusion. Faith has to be in the one giving the instructions that it's going to work. And so that's one of the big lessons they had learned. So I believe we're here to learn three important lessons. There may be more, but I believe the three of the most important lessons. One is obedience. Learning to do it God's way, to follow instructions. Learning to do that. Learning is an active process. You learn by doing. Obeying, as I read a while either this morning or this afternoon, obey my voice. See? Obedience is what God is asking. Follow my instructions. Believe me. Trust me. See? The instructions that I'm giving you. Trust me to get you into the kingdom of God. Follow the instructions. And you'll be fine. But it takes faith, doesn't it? In the one who's given the instructions. That will turn out exactly the way it was said. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, here's again a choice. Verse 15, 
See, I've set before you today life and death, life and good, rather, and death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways. See, if you love God, you follow His instructions. And that's your proof that you love God. You follow God's instructions on how to love your neighbor. That is your proof that you have the faith to do it. To walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess it. Now I look around here and there are a lot of us who have white hair. See? And God has blessed me with good health. I'm almost 81 years old. And He's blessed me with good health. Why? Because I believe I have followed the instructions of God by choosing His way. But if your heart turns away from you, that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan and to go in and possess it. So I call heaven and earth as a witness today, which all the angels in heaven heard what God said to the children of Israel. He didn't hold back anything. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. You see, God is my life. He's your life. And we have to pray for that life. He prolongs that life. Or we can get sick in a moment, in a moment's eye, and die right off the bat. But God is our life. And so we ask God to extend our life so we can serve Him, that nobody can praise Him in the grave, David said. We can't worship God in the grave, but we have to be worth something to Him if He's going to restore our life. We have to be worth something to Him. And I think I mentioned that time about this guy with the black mole cancer. And the doctor said, you're going to die. He lived in Asheville. So he called me and said, I'm bringing my family to Greensboro because I'm going to die. I said, what makes you think you're going to die? He said, well, the doctor told me. In essence, I said, the doctor told you? He said, yes, I'm going to obey the doctor. That's what he said. Stick your tongue out and he cut it off. So I'm going to do exactly what the doctor says. Take that pill every four hours. Set that alarm clock. God can say pray three times a day. Well, that's God for you. <laughs> he knows my heart. Well, the doctor knows my heart. He knows I'm going to take that pill. So he knows me. But I said, 
If God heals you, what are you going to do then with your life? You just want to heal you? Is that it or what? He said, no, I want to be a better father and a better husband. So he had something to live for. I anointed him. Three days later, he called me, crying. He said, I was taking a shower a while ago, Miss Leakes, and that black mold can't just fell right off my shoulder. I said, don't forget, God extended your life for a purpose. See, for a purpose. We want to be healed for what purpose? See, Christ took the beating for what purpose? See, we have to have a purpose in serving God. It's sincerity and truth. Truth sets us free. Truth and extend our lives for His purpose. So He said, I've said before you, you choose. You know, what, what do you want to do? You want blessings and, or curses? Choose. And we think, brethren, we can sin to get away with the curse. You can't do it. It has to be repented of. It might not be tomorrow, but eventually it's going to expose you. It'll catch up with you. And it's embarrassing when it does. So this lesson of obedience, as we are talking here, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, or 15, you wonder how this man, king of Israel, humble in his own eyes, didn't, want, didn't deserve to be a king, he said, how that he could come to the conclusion that he obeyed God. When he was told to kill everybody, all the cattle, Women and children, everybody. And he thought he got away with it. And he felt good because he just sacrificed the animals instead of Samuel. But the time, the moment he did that, guess who came up? Samuel. Had to be a shock to him. Here's Samuel now, God's representative, God's prophet. What am I going to say? Well, he came up with this conclusion, 1 Samuel 15. He said, verse 13 rather, Then Saul, Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the eternal. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. See, he was lying, wasn't he? He lied to himself. He deceived himself in believing he did right. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Shut your mouth and listen to what God has to say to you. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on, 
So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humble, when you didn't, thought you didn't deserve to be a king, when you had that attitude, that attitude, God bless you. And you were not, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So he was to do the work of God. He used, used the people there to do what God wanted done, to do his work. Then he said, verse 21, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, the sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so Samuel said, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. If he had just listened to what God said, if he had killed all the sinners, if he had killed all the cattle, like he was told to do, he would have been fine. But he reasoned around that. Then he blamed the people. And that's usually what, when somebody sinned, they're going to blame somebody else. Not themselves. Somebody else made me do it. Somebody else hit me first. Somebody blew their horn at me first. It's always blame, hide, and justify. Starting in the Garden of Eden, I've said it before. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. See, he couldn't blame anybody else. But that's the blame game. You listen to people and say they'll blame, justify, or hide. And he is just showing here for rebellion. Verse 23 is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity of idolatry. And we're told to get rid of the idols. Did you know stubbornness is one of them? Is an idol. Being stubborn. Stiff neck. We're not listening. To what is being said. I'm not going to do it. Now what's the difference between that person and Saul? If God commands us to do something. To keep the feast and sincerity and truth. Put to death those sins. Get rid of those things. Put them to death. Kill every one of them. So he also, because you rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now I've often thought about that. Who are these people that are going to go up to Christ and we cast out demons in your name and we preached in your name? Is he talking about Billy Graham? Who is he talking about? And he says, I never knew you. They're judged by the word of God. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was naked. And you didn't clothe me. I was sick. You didn't visit me. Well, Lord, when do we see these things? See, then he had an answer. When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. But these people said, Lord, have not done this in your name? Have I done that in your name? And I preached in your name? Haven't I cast out demons in your name? Who is he talking about? What do you think?
And I believe we'll have people to do that. Probably people have left the church could do that. We don't know who it is. He didn't say. But he's talking about rejection. And that'd be some, I've thought about that. I said, what if I were to go up to him and he rejects me? He said, who are you? I said, don't you know me? I prayed to you, I prayed through your name, done all this, your name. I don't know who you are. That would be devastating. And I know the only alternative then is I'm not worth saving. I'm not worth anything. So it's a matter then of, of obedience, learning to obey what God tells us to do. And there are so many scriptures on obedience, obey God, obey His voice. Then the second lesson is one of faith. It takes faith to obey Obedience takes faith. Joshua, I just mentioned that a while ago, is a good example of obedience, of faith. Obeyed. Faith in that obedience. So you obey, you put faith in it. That God's going to do what He says. He'll keep His word in those, in those situations. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Verses 6 and 8. Be strong and of good courage, Moses was saying to Joshua. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God. Now notice what he said. The Lord your God, your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So everywhere we've been transferred to, I've always remembered that scripture. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. Be strong and of good courage. Do it your way, which is my way. And I will not leave you. He says that to all of us, brethren, to be strong and of good courage. Stand strong. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's faith and obedience, doing what he says. Well, I'm going to wait for God then to give me the strength. Oh, he said, be strong. Then I'll give you the strength. Put forth the effort. Then I'll give you the power. Prove to me that's what you want. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with the people, must go with the people of the land which the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. Now Moses, Joshua could have said, Moses, you put me down there like I haven't been strong. Why'd you say that for? To tell me to be strong. See, God has chosen me also to replace you when you die. Now, that would have been some of us today. We'd probably taken that attitude. Why would, why would Dr. Meredith tell Bob Lee to be strong and good courage? Haven't I been strong before? Have I been a coward? See, that would hurt 
the ego, but not Joshua. And Paul had to tell Timothy the same thing, to be strong, be of good courage. And that's what he tells all of us. That's what I tried to get over to the spokesman club. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong in what you're doing. Pick, pick a subject that you're strong in and deliver it with power. Not me and my house afraid somebody's going to say something. We're going to have to have stronger men and women as time goes on. Strong men and women to face whatever we may have to face down the road. And we don't know how strong we are until we're faced with that obstacle. But anyway, it's, he's telling us to be strong and of good courage. And we all know Romans 4:17, where Abraham believed God, obeyed God, believed what God said. He died without inheriting the promise, but he died in faith. He died in obedience. He knows his next moment. That he's going to be in the family of God, inheriting what God promised him. He was strong in that. He had good courage in that, knowing what God is going to do. Now, we've all heard several sermons. God has called us to be priests and kings and pillars. A pillar has to be strong because you've not denied my name, kept my word. I will keep you then, but you've got to be strong and of good courage because you have not denied my name. What will we be judged by? What he said. You have not denied my name and kept my word. Then nobody could take it from you. You didn't give it up. And so that lesson of faith. Now the Third, and I believe the, the major lesson is found in Romans 6.23. And I think we all know that, what, it, what that says. The wages of sin is death. This day really pictures death in a way for us all. Death to our sinful nature. Death to the Egyptians. Death to the people in Jericho type of sin so we're putting to death those things that are displeasing to God and you read that in Romans 6 23 oh wretched man well Romans 7 let me just say this look what Paul wrote about himself oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with a mind, I served, myself, I served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's why he realized he's so wretched. It's all in the flesh, the lust of the flesh, cravings of the flesh. Can never get enough. I just got to have it. No discipline of the flesh. He said, what I want to do, I can't do. And what I don't want to do is what I do. In both ways, he was showing. But he said, I'm a wretched being. And here is the Apostle Paul, 
that we so love. I am a wretched being, he said. And who's going to deliver me from this death? Then he realized it's going to have to be Christ. He would have to do it. <clears throat> now Galatians chapter 1. So the third major lesson is death. The wage of sin is death. Verse 4, Galatians 1, chapter, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. I marvel that you are turning away as soon, so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. So that's why it's pronounced on people who might preach another gospel than what they've been taught. Let him be accursed. The wages of sin is death. The gospel is what saves us. The message we preach, the good news of the kingdom of God is what we're going to be born into. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's that message. It's our heart has to be in the message. It's the way we grow. And the Philadelphia era, as weak as it is, has been challenged to preach that message and not deny it. But if Satan get our minds on everything else except the gospel that has to be preached, commissioned to be preached, and if we get into another gospel, another gospel, there's no salvation in another gospel. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So Paul was absolutely sure he was preaching the right message, preaching the right way, preaching a way of not of works, preaching that you don't have to be circumcised, preaching that Christ is the hope of us going into glory, bring the Gentiles into the body of Christ. And that's what he endured, and that's what he went through. In Malachi chapter 4, the faith of a sinner. Verse 1, for behold, the day, of the, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up. Not some place in torture. They'll be as ashes, the Bible shows. That will leave them neither root nor branch. For to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like a, a stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet." And wouldn't that be horrible to know that you might be trampling on your wife's ashes or she's on your husband's ashes or on your daughter's ashes or on your son's ashes? 
Now I believe this is really going to happen because God is a consuming fire. Nobody can look on Him and live. And we're nothing in comparison to this God. My mind can't even begin to picture what He looks like. Can you picture someone being a consuming fire? Brighter than the sun? You can't even begin to picture that. All we see is flesh. Wrinkled flesh. (laughs) And we're afraid of flesh. Not God. It says the wicked are going to be burned up. So what does this day teach us? The wages of sin is death. Get the leavening out of our lives. Continue to get it out. Continue to examine self. Don't forget it. Don't go home and forget about all of this. And it's easy to do that tomorrow or the next day. Something else will come up. We have to continually check ourselves, our attitudes. The, if we have a problem with, you know, yelling at somebody, screaming at somebody, we have to check that. As Dr. Monell brought out the other day. We have to check all of those things about us. Anger, wrath, not fit for a human because they take vengeance and not necessarily in the other way. So finally, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And our hope is what? The resurrection, isn't it? That's our hope, is to be in the kingdom of God, to be saved. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Or if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. That Christ is not going to come back and die again. That he died for our past sins. He's not coming back and die for future sins. We were in ignorant in the past about the Sabbath about church attendance, about the feast attendance, about all of these things. And we're warned not to forsake that as we see the day approaching, as we see the tribulation period might be coming on us, that we need this fellowship, we need this strength, we need to be fed, we need good courage, that we need to obey even more. And we just can't make up our minds, well, I don't feel like going to church today. I've worked six days already. I think I'll just rest today like God said. He commands us to assemble ourselves on His holy day. Commands us to keep His feast. So, if we sin then willfully, you know, willful sin, and practice that, then we become incorrigible. It doesn't prick our conscience anymore. We don't feel guilty 
anymore. Now, you understand that people are sick and people can't come. We need to balance there. So if we do sin willfully, and few will fail God's plan. And probably some of us will fail God's plan when the heat is turned on. You don't know where you stand. You don't know what you'll do until that moment. You're not expecting things to happen that moment. So we have received the knowledge of the truth. There no, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. So when my wife and I were sent to Montgomery, we rented this house from this individual. He wanted to know what I did. I said, I'm a minister. He said, of what church? I said, the, the Worldwide Church of God. He said, well, I used to attend Worldwide. But I became better. He had something about a magazine that they didn't use, but he let somebody else use that they did, and he became bitter over that. And we were talking. I said, are, are you fearful of dying? He said, yes, sir. I said, are you fearful of God going to the lake of fire? He said, yes, sir. I think about it every day. When I asked him, I said, why don't you come to church? Repent. He said, I can't. I said, why? Just not in me. I can't do it. And I'm married, and my wife would probably leave me. Now, what is the faith there, would you say? Once the person has practiced sin, hardened heart, even though they know a fearful thing, they have not, pride will keep them from repenting. Pride will keep them from confessing their sins. Pride will keep them that I've been wrong. And we all have to fight that, every one of us. So we don't know what may cause us between now and next Passover to stumble as someone hurts our feelings, get mad and quit. So we continue then, continue the feast of the leavening of the life, all the sin that we can find every day, then God will bless us and he will keep us. He'll never forsake us or leave us as he tells us in his word.